Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Job with the pension for peeling faces is Roman Sionis, aka Black Mask. Woo! The fact that he wants me dead hasn't yet hit my radar. See, I was halfway across town, hungover, and thinking about breakfast. Egg, bacon, yes. American cheese. Soft, toasted, buttered roll. Just a gash of hot sauce. Not too much, Sal. Wanna taste the cheese? What a way to start my new life. <sighs> With the perfect egg sandwich. My hands just won't mm. You're a lifesaver, Sal. I love you, baby. Now we're good for the 75 cents, okay? I promise. I don't know if it's the stray Armenian arm hair or the fact that his cheese slices are always six months out of date, but no one makes an egg sandwich like Sal. I mean it, Sal. No one. I don't think so. Are you fucking kidding me? Welcome to Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I am half of your host, Perry Constantine. And I am the other half, Derek Ferguson. How are you doing today, Derek? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just like everybody else sequestered. You know, as I was telling you, I did have to go out uh, earlier today, and it was kind of eerie. You know, I felt like Charlton Heston in The Omega Man, you know, <laughs> driving through <well, clears throat> through Brooklyn and seeing, like, all the empty streets and seeing all the stores close. You know, it's still a eerie feel. Even on a Saturday, you know, when I figured that a lot of people would be at least, you know, walking up and down the street. Nah, still wasn't. So, but we're doing fine over here. You know, we're just uh, staying busy and not getting on each other's nerves. People always ask me, they say, well, how come you and your wife, you know, you don't get on each other's nerves? And I said, well, that's because I spend most of my time in the basement downstairs. <laughs> so, so I don't have time to get on her nerves. And that's just the way she likes it. Yeah. Um, you know, this whole thing, every time I hear something about New York, I'm always thinking of uh, that opening scene in uh, Vanilla Sky where Tom Cruise is dreaming of being in a deserted New York and he's running through Times Square and it's just completely yeah, empty. Yeah. 
Yeah. And man, if they made that movie now, they wouldn't have to worry about shutting down traffic for like two or three hours or however long they had to do it. Well, well you know, that actually, that wasn't because I figured they did it with some kind of special effects, you know, kind of trickery or something like that. But no, they actually he was actually in Times Square. It was like a Sunday morning. Yeah. I think they said at like five or six o'clock in the morning. And, you know, yeah, they had to cut off, you know, like a few streets or whatever. But, yeah, they actually filmed it there. Yeah. Said, oh, wow. Cool. Okay. That is one of the most memorable scenes, like the, that imagery that 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 has always stuck with me all the after I've, all these years after I've seen it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just like you just said, when you say Vanilla Sky, bam, that's the image that immediately pops into my head. Yeah. Um, so you also did uh, a, an online writing convention uh, yesterday, didn't you? How'd that go? Uh, yeah, I did it yesterday and I, uh, did it today. Um, I was invited on this, uh, thing. What was this? Uh, well, uh, what's the name of it? It was like uh, Adventure Con or something. Right. Yeah. Adventure Writers, you know, conference or stuff like that, because what's happening since, of course, we're under quarantine and, and, you know, all of these various, uh, conventions and stuff like that have been canceled, what you find is that you have people that are getting together like these, you know, like virtual type of writers panels and stuff like that. So I was invited to be on it. I was on it last night and I was on the Indiana Jones panel today where we were talking about Indiana Jones. Uh, So I was on there with Sean Ellis and, you know, David uh, Wood and a bunch of other talented people. And it was a lot of fun. I don't get to do that type of thing too often. But I'm thinking that I should, you know, now, you know, I'm thinking that I should, that I should invest and get like a really good camera because I have a camera, but it's kind of crappy, to be honest with you. You know, um, I do have a good microphone. So I'm thinking and, you know, every once in a while I'll do like a little live uh, Facebook type of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm thinking that maybe, you know, I should really uh, invest into the whole, you know, video thing or whatever like that. Because we did it by Zoom and it was very cool because, you yeah. know, it was like five or six of us there and, you know, you could see everybody and and we could all talk. And yeah, it was massively cool. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it'd be cool if we did something, if we could get something like that going, especially because, um, you know, they got the, the Windy City uh, Pulp Convention. Uh, that's something you and I can't really get to very easily. Uh, I went to Windy City last year. Well, yeah, and I um, went. I went a few years ago because I have. That's yeah. when I tried moving back to the states. But, but now it's it's impossible for me because. Oh yeah, yeah. April is when the is usually when the university year starts up, so I'm always busy that time of year. Right. So yeah, if they if they're able to do something virtual, that would be kind of cool if we could get something going like that. Yeah, well, well, actually, you know, it's given me the idea, like I said, maybe, you know, I, I'll get together with a whole bunch of other new pulp writers and see if we can, you know, get together and we can do something like that. Yeah. You know, that would be, you know, massively cool, you know, to do something like that. So while I was sitting here waiting for you to come on, I was like making some notes and everything like that, because, of course, I have no idea how to do this. But, you know, <laughs> I was just thinking, yeah, you you, you know, and you and know what? You don't have to get like a whole lot of people, you know. You get about five, six, seven people Mm -hmm. and you say, "Okay, well, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that, do that. You know, you could even do like a one day thing or a two day thing like this was. But um, again, I am overwhelmed at how technology 
um, is enabling us to overcome the difficulties of the situation that we all find ourselves in. Yeah. Well, um, you know, talk to me about that off the air and then uh, we can because I, I, I got some I, I could probably answer some questions you might have about that. So so we can talk about that later. Okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I was going to bring you in on it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. You know. OK. All right. Sounds good. Um, so uh, today we're talking about a movie that's probably the most recent movie we've done, and that's uh, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Yep. And uh, so this is Margot Robbie's second outing as Harley Quinn after Suicide Squad. Um, so first, let's talk a little bit about her, just her in Suicide Squad. What, what were your impressions of her in Suicide Squad? Oh, as far as I'm concerned, she stole the movie. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, really, she she just came in and she just she played Harley Quinn like she had been playing her for the past 10 years. And she even brought in, um, like, the voice she uses as Harley Quinn. It's not exactly the same as, um, oh, what's her name on the animated series did, but it's very similar. And you can tell, like, she was definitely influenced um, by that actress. Yeah, yeah. And and you can tell that she has studied the character. Yeah. You know, she just didn't just take the role and just say, okay, well, there's some crazy chick that's in a costume. She did take time to research the character. And, uh, you know, see what she was about and get into her head and everything, which is why her performance was so memorable. A lot of people have a lot of problems with Suicide Squad. I'm not one of them, but a lot of people have a lot of problems with Suicide Squad. But the one thing everybody agrees on is that she stole the movie. You know, Margot, it would not have been the same movie without her or with anybody else playing Harley Quinn. Matter of fact, matter of fact, in two movies, she has like, okay, she is, she's like, you know, the Michael Keaton of Harley Quinn's, mm. you know, yeah. Th- that's it. It's her. Yeah. Yeah. She has, um, there were three things. Like I, I was one of the people who had a lot of problems with suicide squad, just like the pacing of it, the, the plot, a lot of the, the fact that they were doing a suicide squad movie so soon into this universe seemed really odd because you've got all these supervillains, but they've had no superheroes yet. So, so all that kind of <laughs> seemed a bit weird. Um, but there were three things that I really liked about it. First one was obviously Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Um, second one was, um, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. And the third was surprisingly, cause I wasn't expecting this, but Will, Sh- um, Will Smith as Deadshot. Yeah, yeah, he surprised. Me. Yeah, he he definitely surprised me. He was a lot better in this. Remember, he was a lot better in this type of movie. Period. Than I thought he was. You know, than I thought he would be. Oh yeah, and I thought they would have because he's one of those guys who he only really takes good guy roles. So exactly, yeah. So I was worried they were going to try very hard to make him overly sympathetic with his daughter and everything. But they, and even though there was some of that, it was still very much true to the dead shot from the comics. Yeah. And I like how, you know, his daughter was fully aware of what her dad did, you Mm -hmm. know, and she still loved him and everything like that. But like you said, they didn't overplay that though. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't try to make it like an excuse, you know, for what he did. The guy's an unrepentant killer. You yeah. know, okay, good. Now let's do, yeah, but even an unrepentant killer can love his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so hey, okay. Let's listen, uh, like I said, I yeah, I did have problems with Sue Scott uh squad in that 
I don't think it's a good idea if you are pitching to the government that, okay, this is going to be our own team of superhumans that we're going to use and we're going to sick them on whoever we don't like. But your first mission is to take down your most powerful (laughs) member. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, right then and there, that is the flaw with your plan, you know. So <clears throat> um, I think that some of the characters were wasted, you know, Slipknot. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't hire an actor. Matter of fact, you don't hire an actor of the caliber of Adam Beach just to have him have his head blown off, you know, 10 minutes after you introduce him. Right. Yeah. And, and I thought... You know, um, uh, oh crap! I'm just oh katana. Katana was really wasted. I thought too. Well, again, she was a character that was just like brought in out, out of left field. All of a yeah. sudden, you know. Oh, okay. Well, here's katana. Wait a minute. You know where did she come from? Yeah. You know. It was funny. I was yeah. watching the uh, the honest trailer for uh, <laughs> um, this Birds of Prey last night on YouTube, and they were talking about the the other women in the in the cast and how and the guy the narrator said wait a minute i know more about katana than i know about the women in this movie really because because that's one of this is one of the failings of okay so we can just jump right into birds of prey but i think one of the weaknesses of birds of prey is that it's not a birds of prey movie it should have just been called uh fantabulous emancipation of one harley quinn oh yeah yeah like all the all the other characters they they're very superfluous. They don't really fit in this story. They don't really matter at all to the story. First of all, let me start out by saying first of all, this isn't a superhero movie. It no. isn't. You know, that's the first thing. It's not a superhero movie. This is like a really whacked out Gonzo crime action thriller. That's yeah. what it is. You know, that has Harley Quinn and a bunch of other characters. In I, it. But, you know, but it doesn't have Batman or the Joker, which I appreciated, mind yeah. you. I did. I like the fact that they were mentioned. I think the Penguin gets mentioned one time. You know, these other characters get mentioned, but we never see them. Right. And there's also a, a Suicide Squad reference to Captain Boomerang. Like, on one when there's a wanted poster, and she says, hey, I know that guy. And it turns out that that guy is Captain Boomerang in the poster. Yeah. Um, but other than that, and there's one scene where they've got like a body double of the Joker. You see him from behind in one of the flashbacks, but that's it. Right. It's the guy with the tattooed face. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. And in fact, one of the, a lot of people were saying this is a lot like DC's Deadpool. But I think a better comparison is this is like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with superhero characters. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Because it's got that's that, good comparison. It's got it that was kind like, of like Gonzo narration type thing, that flashing back and forth, that, you know, midstream correcting of the story. Like, oh, shit, I forgot to tell you this part. This is like if the director, and it's a female director, Kathy Yan. Yeah. But it's like somebody said to her, and I'm not disparaging her talent at all because I love the way this movie is directed. Mm-hmm. But it's like if somebody sat her down and said, OK, listen, we can't hire Quentin Tarantino. But can you do this movie kind of like if Quentin Tarantino did it? And she said, sure, I can do that. Yeah, it's got a lot of that kind of sensibility to it. And it's exactly. A- it's got a lot of Tarantino DNA mm-hmm. in here. And it's um, it's a fun movie overall. Like I, I enjoyed it a lot, but I do think there are some 
issues with it in terms of like character choices, like who they who the characters they chose to put in this movie and just the titling and just there are some mistake missteps with that and it felt which i'm not even sure why they felt the need to do it in the first place because you know every, everybody loved margot roby in um in suicide squad harley quinn's been a, a fan favorite character like ever since she was first created back in 1992 for batman the animated series and so and roby herself you know she's gotten a you know, she's become a big star now since the original Suicide Squad came out. You know, between between that movie, between um, her role in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, Wolf of Wall Street. So she's become a pretty big name now. So I'm not sure why it it feels like the, the studio was uncertain to make a Harley Quinn movie without uh, you throwing in all these other characters. Mm, yeah, because... <clears throat> It's definitely been shown that she can carry a movie. I think she can. I think she can mm-hmm. carry a whole movie. And because most of this movie is carried on her back. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Anyway. You know, most of it is carried on her back anyway. So, I don't... Yeah. So, I mean, not that I don't mind the other characters thrown in here, but here's the thing with this movie. In order to enjoy it, you have to throw out everything that you knew about Renee Montoya and the Huntress and Cassandra Kane mm-hmm. and Black Canary. Yeah. You got to do that because the versions of these characters, this is like Earth 628 or whatever it is, you know. Right. Because the characters that here bear absolutely no resemblance to any itineration of these characters that we've seen previously. None whatsoever. Yeah. And that that was my biggest sticking point with this is just how far removed these characters are. Well, I will say this: um, Renee Montoya, I was fine with her. She seemed pretty close, just like a bit of an older version of the Renee Montoya we know from the comics. So I liked right. her. I thought Rosie yeah. Perez did a really good job as as her. Well, listen. Anytime I get to see squeaky voice <laughs> Rosie Perez in a movie, <laughs> I'm happy. And yeah. I think that the only thing was that she this is a Renee Montoya that's a little bit older mm-hmm. than, you know. But again, I really didn't mind that at all because, you know, well, it's Rosie Perez. Yeah. <laughs> and I also like that we got Ali Wong cameoing as uh, her ex-girlfriend, the DA. Yeah. Yeah, we see her in that little brief bit, which they kind of, you know, like, you know, they just did that very briefly. And then they said, OK, well, let's keep the plot moving. Yeah. Yeah. Did it seem like that to you? That they kind of like, okay, well, we rushed for. I mean, first of all, this is an R-rated movie, you know, so you've already committed yourself to a certain level of sex and violence, so, you know, why are you being cagey about her relationship with another woman? Yeah, it, it just... Well, like, a, a lot of the... Well, first off, the, the R-rating thing, I don't think they really had to make this R-rated. I, I mean, they could have... No, they could have no. easily made this PG-13, Which, which is a lot of the complaints that I read about it. They said, well, you know, because, of course, there's a lot of girls, young girls who look up to Harley Quinn as a role model, something else which I have a problem with. But yeah. That, but that's another episode altogether, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, really, you know, if you have a daughter and your daughter thinks that Harley Quinn is a role model, have somebody sit down with that child and 
talk to their child about the dangers of abusive relationships. Please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen those memes on Facebook saying like, oh, forget Romeo and Juliet. I want a romance like Harley Quinn and the Joker. I'm like, you want a romance where the guy's, you know, kill, trying to torture and kill you and psychologically manipulating you all the time? I really don't think people realize because we see Harley Quinn as she is now and she's funny and she's goofy mm -hmm. and she does all these wacky, crazy things and everything like that. But at the core of her origin, that is really fucked up. Yeah. To be pretty honest, there's no other way to put it. You know, the way that she became Harley Quinn is damn, you know, that's <laughs> that's a mind trip on a level I don't even want to contemplate how twisted you are. Because it's like she got infected by the Joker. Oh, he yeah. infected her. Yeah. Basically. He infected her. So yeah, so this movie, it's all basically about Harley Quinn trying to establish her own identity um, with now that the Joker is broken up with her. And I, like this, op the opening section with her like trying to readjust to life without the Joker, I thought was probably the, the best part of the movie. It was very funny. I first of all, I enjoyed the little cartoon that was at the beginning. Yeah, that was they great. Had the little they had the little cartoon where she was explaining her childhood and everything like that. And then, yeah, we see how yeah she's trying to establish herself without letting people know that they have broken up because, she, of course, being the Joker's girlfriend, she enjoys a high level of protection. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, you know, because of course, who's going to be crazy enough to mess with the Joker's girlfriend? Right. Which is something I never considered before, but it actually makes a whole lot of sense. It's a really good touch they added to this movie. I thought. Yeah, yeah. I and uh, I, I said, you know, something. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. And of course, once Gotham's underworld finds out that. Uh, the Joker and Harley are no longer together. Well, now it's open season on Harley. Yeah, yeah. And especially uh, Black Mask, who is the other standout performance in this besides Margot Robbie is Ewan McGregor as Black Mask. Who who looks and acts like he's having the time of his life in this movie. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I read in the trivia that uh, Sam Rockwell had auditioned for the part and he was he was offered it but he had to turn it down and but then they made Sam Rockwell that was like the archetype for how they were going to portray Black Mask in this and it you know I never cared much for Black Mask in the comics so I'm not I don't really know how accurate this is I'm as I remember Black Mask in the comics he seemed kind of like a one of the blander Batman villains um yeah but, I, but Ewan McGregor really made him stand out in this yeah, and and again, I like the fact that you know he doesn't have any superpowers. He's just a really crazy guy. Yeah, that occasionally puts on a black mask. That adds to the whole thing about this movie. Because yeah, I really enjoyed that. You know, really, uh, the only person who has superpowers in the movie is Black Canary. But even then, she doesn't use them until like you know the very end of the movie. Right. You know, there's no the chance. You know, when there's when they're in the funhouse and they're having the fight, and there's no other way out for her then to let loose her sonic cry. So, but up until then, you know, we nobody's got any superpowers. We, you know, we don't see that. It's another side of Gotham that we get to see that mm. I think we don't get to see enough. That Gotham is really a crazy city, even without. <laughs> we don't need to see Batman and the Joker to know that Gotham is a really crazy city. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going back to, to Black Mask, one of the things, and 
his that scene where he's explaining all about the masks to um, uh, Dinah, I love that scene just because like you believe that Ewan McGregor is really into masks in that scene. Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah. he acts just like a manic collector showing off his collection. It's it he does that perfectly. Yeah, he sells the scene. You know, mm-hmm. well, he's Ewan McGregor. You know, he he. <laughs> The man is so good that he that I believe he does not know how he doesn't know how not to sell the scene. Yeah. He has, you know, that's how good he is. And you know, he's is it just me or is he becoming kind of Gary Oldman-esque in that he so embodies a role that you don't recognize him from movie to movie? Yeah. Yeah, because this is the, like I said, one of the things that intrigued me about this movie was his performance. I said Wait a minute, you and McGregor, what's he gonna do in this movie? Mm-hmm. You know? And when I saw him, I said, holy shit. I said, yeah, okay, cool. You know. Yeah, so he he did he was excellent in this. Um and apparently there's some subtext between him and uh Zaz being in a relationship, which, you know, Zaz were another, was another one of those characters that it really felt like they were just pulling a name out of a hat to match with uh, yeah. a char- a role they had in the script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's the whole. There's a whole aspect to this movie that really intrigues me. In that, like you said, when they just pulled the name from a hat. This is a movie that, even though you can tell, okay, everything is planned out and everything, you know, they know what they were doing. They just didn't make this up. But still, the movie has a quality that they're making this shit up as they go along. Yeah. Which is really weird, you know, which adds to the weirdness of the movie. Because, yeah, like you said, well, okay, well, he needs a, uh, okay, well, Black Mass, he, he needs a bad guy. Okay, well, who can we get? And they just looked in the Rolodex and they said, okay, well, here's a guy named Zaz. Well, yeah. Okay, well, you know, let's use him, you know. But yet, it fits into the whole overall attitude of this movie. Like I said, because a lot of it, to me, when I was watching the first time, when I was watching it for the first time, a lot of it felt like they was making a lot of that stuff up as they were going along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course we have, um, oh, I love the scene where she goes to the uh, the pet shop and she finds the, and she gets the hyena. <laughs> Bruce. Bruce, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's like one of the few Batman references we get where she says, I named him Bruce after that hunky Wayne guy. <laughs> oh, but and then she has him eat the <laughs> the pet shop owner. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Because God tried to make the moves on it. He said, mm-hmm. "Well, you know, uh, I take thing. You know, well, I take it out in trade." And next yeah. thing we see, Bruce is chewing on the guy's leg. <laughs> Yeah, so in the, in the animated series, uh, Harley had uh, two hyenas, but apparently they could only do one because of how difficult it was to to do the the make it as realistic as possible with CGI. Yeah, well, and really, I mean, how many hyenas do you really need? Right, yeah, one was just fine. <laughs> yeah, one was just fine. You know, but this movie is also, to me, very... You know what it is about? Okay, DC movies, DC movies say this for them. If nothing else, they're controversial. Mm-hmm. Because what it is, it's, uh, it came out in what, February? Yeah, yeah it came out in February, because I saw it the day before my birthday, as a matter of fact. So it's February, March, April, so what? It's almost two months now, and people are still arguing about this movie. 
Yeah. And debating about it and, and oh, I hate it. Oh, I love it. And everything. My personal feeling is that this is going to be the movie that five years from now, people are going to be saying, oh, how come more people didn't go see this? Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of that, too, is just like it came out at such a bad time, right? With the coronavirus mm-hmm. stuff just kicking off. So that's why it ended up getting an early digital release because of that. Okay, yeah, but I saw this in in the theater back in February. Right, that's what I mean. But yeah. it, but it happened. It came out in February, and then like after that, they started closing stuff down because of the coronavirus. So it was oh, like, okay. and then and okay. then it got an early release on digital, like right after that. Because I saw it like when it because you because you told me about it, it was pretty good, and I heard from some other people too saying it was good, and we were planning on seeing it, my girlfriend and I, because it was coming out like the week. Like, uh, it was going to be coming out in March here in Japan, the theaters here. Right. I remember you were telling me, okay, yeah, now I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, literally the same week, it was supposed, like, uh, the same week, the Tuesday before it was supposed to come out here, it ended up coming out on iTunes. So we so we had decided, well, you know, screw it. It's going to cost us 20 bucks each to see it anyway if we go to the theater. So let's just pay 20 bucks once and watch it at home. Right. So so that's what we did. And and yeah, I enjoyed it, but yeah, there were they did you're right, it did have that quality of we're kind of we're kind of making shit up as we go along. Um and in some cases that worked, you know, I think it it definitely helped with um the whole Harley feel of it because that's very much how her mind works like her um I love the scene right before she blows up Axis chemicals or Ace chemicals or whatever it is and she says um she's like fortunately I have all my best ideas when I'm drunk yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and exactly and, and there just happens to be a gasoline truck there and and she okay well let me blow it up yeah I think yeah in this movie is Ace chemicals yeah which is what yeah. I think it was in the comics too. Yeah, in the in the nineteen eighty nine Batman, I think it was Axis Chemicals. Right, right. It was Axis. Yeah, that chemical plant keeps blowing. The people in everybody in in Gotham must have cancer. Have, must have <laughs> they got to have lung cancer because <laughs> the chemical plants keep getting blown up. <laughs> And it keeps getting because uh, it's the same. You think they would have shut down after it came out that the Joker was made from their chemicals, but then <laughs> yeah, in Suicide Squad, yeah. he takes he takes Harley back there and sh- throws her into the same vat of chemicals. Yeah, you kind of think they might have said, you know what, this wouldn't be good PR. Yeah, <laughs> for people to know that the Joker was born in our chemical vats. You mm-hmm. know, maybe we should like move this to Poughkeepsie or someplace like yeah. that. But or at hey. least change our name. <laughs> It, yeah. Well, maybe they did. They changed it from Axis to <laughs> There you go. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Mystery solved. <laughs> and I do like how she's like, I get my best ideas when I'm drunk. And then the next day when um, uh, Montoya's investigating and she says, Harley Quinn didn't think this through. And then she's like, no shit, I didn't think it through. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She chimes in. No shit. I didn't think. Oh, man. Yeah. It's a lot of funny stuff that's in this movie, which I I don't know. I you know me. I'm I'm if you give me a grim, unhappy superhero movie and give me one that's fun and lighthearted and I can have a good time sitting in my CD, my popcorn and watch it. Nine times out of 10, I'm going to go with that movie. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't find the grim stuff 
occasionally and stuff like that. Right. But I but I do appreciate being surprised by a movie because I had no idea what this movie was. And I deliberately stayed away from any information about it because mm-hmm. I wanted to be surprised. And I honestly have to say that I was surprised at how much I did enjoy this movie and why I've been championing it with anybody that will listen to me. I told it, listen, do whatever, don't listen to anybody else except me. <laughs> I am Oz, okay? I am Oz. You, the great and powerful, listen to me. <laughs> Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> Go see Harley Quinn. I said, it, it, nowhere near, and it's not. I'm, okay, does it got its flaws? Of course it does. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the other hand, it's nowhere near as bad as people make it out to be. No, and I definitely don't why, not. And I don't know why people hate this movie so much. I really don't. <laughs> I mean, I think it's. I think a big part of it is just internet bro culture, which has gotten ridiculous now. So, like, people hate it just because it's got a woman directing it and it's got a cast of women and, you know, all that shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, what can I say? Some. Some men have not evolved. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> enough to be able to allow themselves to enjoy a movie of this type, like you say, with an all-women cast, directed by a woman who, mm-hmm. who, 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 to me, does a wonderful job of directing. I mean, that scene that's in the funhouse, that's uh, near the end, where's uh, Harley and um, the Birds of Prey, they have to fight off. Uh, the army that Black Mass has assembled to kill him. And they have a fight to send a funhouse. And I'm watching it and I'm saying, you know something, Kathy Gann is a genius because that fight is choreographed in such a way that all you all you would need is the bam, boom, zip, pow from the 1966 Batman yeah. TV series on the screen. That's all you would need because that's what it is. That's, what it, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, you know, I didn't really... Consider that, but now that thinking back after hearing you say that, you're absolutely right. That that is a perfect way to describe how that action unfolds. And like this yeah. whole movie, it's just very bright, and it's just it's it's totally Gonzo. Like it it totally embraces that aspect. It's not like a lot of the other DC movies, um, at least pre Wonder Woman, where it was everything was muted, everything was like shot in heavy shadow and everything. No, in this they're they're throwing like a, a lot of color on the screen. Yeah, and you know me. I always say, listen, if you're going to do this type of movie, if you're going to do it, well, then damn it, commit to it. Yeah. Don't, you know, pull back and say, okay, well, we have to do this because, you know, the audience, they're not going to buy it. Listen, if you put it up on screen and you put it up there in an entertaining way, they're going to buy it. Trust me, they're going to buy it, you know. So, yeah, and this movie just swings for the fences. That's what it does. Kathy Ann, you know, she says, you know what, I'm going to hit a home run with this movie. And that's what she did, you Mm know, as Uh, far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, and one of the scenes I really liked was um, Harley's assault on the police station when she's using the the glitter gun and all that shit. (laughs) Yeah, the glitter gun. Oh, <laughs> and she's in, and she's in the evidence room, and the guys are shooting at her and everything. And she's trying to figure out how she's gonna get out there. And all of a sudden, she what they're doing is that they're shooting the cocaine she's hiding behind. <laughs> and she gets this huge snortful, and she gets this look on her face. That's like, I said, oh man, <laughs> Marco Robbie is hilarious. Just with that look on her face, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's you a, know. We'd be we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about one of the most important objects in this movie, 
which is the egg sandwich. Ah, <laughs> the blessed egg sandwich. But you know what? I watched this movie and I'm like, I want one of those sandwiches now. Yeah, I was in the movie theater and I'm watching the movie. And so help me. I haven't had an egg sandwich maybe in about like a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. But when I saw that, that was the only thing in my mind that I wanted an egg sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> I never know. I never realized I could have such an emotional attachment to an egg sandwich in a movie as I did with oh this. Oh my God. The egg sandwich looks so good. And uh, do you see a uh, friend of our friend of the show, Sean Ali, he posted um, a video, the guy who plays Sal, he's a real, um, uh, a restaurant owner and he showed oh, okay. he did a video tutorial how to make that egg sandwich oh man I, I definitely have to look up that tutorial because I did get an egg sandwich a couple of days later mm-hmm. but I don't think it was that as good as that one that's in the movie oh no definitely not like I, <laughs> I made one myself but it, it, I guarantee it wasn't as good because for starters here um American bacon is made with a different process than, you know, bacon here in Japan. Like, it's cured in a different process, so it tastes very different. Uh-huh. So there's that aspect of it. And also just, like, being able to find, like, the right kind of roll and stuff like that. That's difficult here in Japan. So I just – I had to make an egg sandwich with what I had, and I guarantee you it was nowhere near as good. Oh, man. that is, I mean – the movie theater that I was in, you could hear people salivating. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting hungry now just talking about it. Oh, man, please. Let's move on to something else. We're going to cut this short so I can eat. Yeah, but I mean, again, what are we talking about? We're talking about stuff like that, like the egg sandwich. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about stuff like, you know, the glitter gun. And, mm. you know, because to me, it's, it's things like that that get together to add up to make the movie. Yeah. You know, those little details like that. Like, for instance, how many superhero movies do you see where the main character actually stops to get something to eat? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah, you don't see that, you know. I mean, they go through the whole movie never eating, but in this one, Holly's desire is for this egg sandwich, mm-hmm. and we and we completely buy it. I like that when... Um when the super there are some that have done that like in uh in iron man i love when he gets off the plane first thing he wants is a cheeseburger oh yeah yeah and, and then of course, uh, an avengers. yeah avengers and, at the end yes yeah oh god that scene that when she asked for a cheeseburger and i i got i got just as choked up as happy did in that scene <laughs> Well, I was talking about the first movie where they get the shawarma. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about when um, uh, Morgan asks for um, uh, a cheeseburger at the end of Endgame. Oh, oh, man, please. Please. I teared up. Yeah. And I also like how in um, in the Flash TV show, when, uh, what's his name? Harrison Wells' obsession with Big Belly Burger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which I like. Believe it or not, I like <clears throat> little small things like that, that they acknowledge that people do things like, you know, eat and go to the bathroom and stuff mm. like that. You know, it's not all mayhem all the time. Right. Those you little know? touches, they yeah. help add a lot. Right. Exactly. Like, um, what movie was that? Where um, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, where does he get killed at? In the bathroom, because he went to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And he left a shotgun you know. right outside the door. Yeah, and he leaves right, and he leaves a shotgun outside because, of course, who takes a shotgun into the bathroom? Right. Yeah, it's such you a know, human middle. human thing to do. A, which is why that death is so memorable because it's such a human death. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm reminded of um, Logan in um, in X Men Two when he go when they're in uh, Bobby Drake's house and he's sniffing around for beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Such a, you know, uh, I mean, you know, such a human thing that enhances character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except in his case, he's literally sniffing for beer. That's what I loved about literally it. Literally sniffing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or when they show also in that movie, when they show um, uh, when he has the, the warm Dr. Pepper and he hands it to to Iceman to, to cool it off for him. Yeah, yeah, he just hands it to him and, you know, he, you know, take care of that for me. I like, I like that kind of stuff when they show superheroes using their powers in mundane ways because it, it yeah. really helps add to their humanity. Yeah, because who wouldn't use their superpowers to get... Because if I had telekinesis, I wouldn't get up and do a thing. Oh, hell no. My ass would be so much bigger than it is now. It's not even oh, funny. Oh, please. Are you, are, are you kidding me? I'd be floating sandwiches down from the kitchen to me all the time. Man, there'd be like a conga line of stuff coming from the kitchen down to the basement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, for some of the problems I had with this, the biggest one, I think, for me was Cassandra Kane. Because all the other characters, they've got at least some aspect of the characters from the comics. But Cassandra Kane is even more so than Zaz is just a name picked out of the hat. The only similarity she has to Cassandra in the comics is that she's an orphan and she's Asian, and that's it. Yeah. Now I now I agree with all the Cassandra Kane fans who says that this movie really screwed over that character a lot. Because yeah, this could have been any random. You know, they could have called her Molly Chan. Right. Or something like that. You know, yeah, it didn't have to be Cassandra Kane, except for the fact that, you know, that's a name that's familiar, you know, to readers of, you know, the Batman comic book. Yeah. That was you know, my that biggest. Because Cassandra Kane was one of my favorite of the later Batman characters who was created. Um, right. Like her, that Batgirl series, it was by. Um, uh, Kelly and Puckett, that mm-hmm. series was so good. Like the art was amazing, and the way they depicted uh, Cassandra's journey. Because, because so for anyone who's listening to this and they haven't read um, anything about Cassandra in the comics, she was raised by. Um, so she's the daughter of um, David Kane, who's a professional assassin, and also I believe Lady Shiva is her mother. Ooh. And, and so did that, did that I think I'm. I'm not. 100%, so don't quote me on this, but I believe, I'm pretty sure Lady Shiva's her mother. But anyway, um, so in the comics, her father, David Kane, he raised her from birth to basically be an assassin. So she had, when she became, came to Gotham, she had no linguistic skills, like she could not speak. But what she could do was she could read body language, and it made her like almost telepathic in a, in a fight. And her journey over the course, like, for the first several issues, having a main character who can't speak at all, like, that's a tough thing to write. Oh, but, yeah, I, I, I can only imagine, yeah. But they were able to really pull it off. 
And they pulled it off amazingly. And her journey, her growth, going from mute girl to someone who could speak rudimentally, like, it was such a great journey and the characterization was so amazing. I just, re- I bought the the first uh, trade recently and well, I bought it like a year or so ago, but I'd only recently read it again because I hadn't read the series since it was back in single issues, you know, back in like the, you know, early 2000s or whenever it was. And right. man, I forgot how good it is, but it is amazing and it still holds up so well. So to see that character get the shaft like she did in this movie was just so disappointing. Well, that's the same thing that I've been hearing from fans of the character in, you know, and I only know the character from what other people have told me. So I did know a little bit about the background of of the character. And as you say, the journey that she goes through. And when I saw the movie, I said, yeah, you know what? Like I said, they could have just had any character do this. They didn't have to. It does. It didn't have to be Cassandra Cain, unless they're planning on on uh, having her appear in future movies where we do learn her background. Mm-hmm. Maybe, also, maybe they might. Maybe they might be doing that. I don't know. But I. But I go with <laughs> with what I said before. I think that she should have just been an original character. You know, Molly Chan or whatever. And yeah. you know. Also. Um, I didn't like the scene where she steals the diamond primarily because of the song they played, right? Now, they played the the song Sway, which both of you and I remember from one of our favorite movies, Dark City. Right. But it's this really, like, upbeat version that I just, I hate that version of that song. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a song that should always be played slow or yeah. sung slow. Yeah. It's a torch song. Yeah, I mean that version. I think it was Anita Kelsey who did it in um, in the movie in Dark City. I can't remember. I'll take exactly. your word. I'll yeah. take your word for it. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. So. Well, because there are two versions. In the director's cut, Jennifer Connelly sings it herself. But in the oh yeah, Jennifer Connelly does it. Yeah, Jennifer it, Connelly. Yeah. Now that I know, because I have, because I have the I have the Blu-ray that's got both the theatrical release and the director's. Right. And in the theatrical one, I believe it's Anita Kelsey. Here. I, I yeah. might be getting the name wrong, but like the Anita and you know that's probably the one flaw in the director's cut is that the Anita Kelsey version is much better. You get no argument from me if that's what you're waiting on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just waiting to see some acknowledgement. <laughs> oh no! I, listen, I, listen. Anybody knows me lo- knows how much I love Dark City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that is one of the few movies that you will literally never hear me say a bad word about. Yeah, yeah. I don't I? You know, I, I really I cannot poke a hole in, in anything about Dark City. Mm-hmm. That is like if there is such a thing as a perfect <clears throat> movie, and there's not too many of them. But for that genre what it is yeah that's like that you know there's like a handful of movies that when people say that okay well I didn't like this movie I didn't like this movie I say okay well you're gonna like this <clears throat> Speed Racer is one of them Dark yeah. City is another to to date I have given Dark City to maybe about a dozen people and they always come back and say oh man how come I never heard about this movie this is fantastic yeah you know, so and when it comes to um so Black Canary in this movie, she's also pretty different from the comics, but I still kind of liked um, a lot of what uh, Journey Smollett-Bell did with her character. I still thought she was entertaining. 
Yeah, and we also have a we also have a nice scene between her and Renee Montoya, where it where it's made pretty clear that she's not the original Black Canary that we know, because Renee right. Montoya tells her about her mother who had the same powers, and she said, "Oh, well, she helped out the Gotham Police Department a lot, and you know, blah blah blah." So, so then I said, oh, "Okay, well, they're acknowledging that there, which which again, I don't mind if you acknowledge that there was an original." You know, give me the new version, but say, okay, well, this is a new version, but yeah, there was an original Black Canary. Well, yeah, I like so, that because it's yeah. uh, that's also something from the the comics in the post crisis continuity. Because in the original uh, Justice Society, the the Black Canary was Diana Drake, but then when they um, when they brought in. Um, in the in the like the sixties and the seventies when they were rebooting like the Silver Age, it was Dinah Lance. So to reconcile those in post crisis, they said, okay, there were two Black Canaries. Dinah Drake was the original one, and Dinah Lance is her daughter. Right. Although and it was who so- names their daughter the same name as their mother. I don't know because <laughs> it. And it was some kind of convoluted thing that you know the daughter got sent to. Earth 2, which is why there's a Black Canary on Earth 1 and a Black Canary on Earth 2, because that's... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was crazy back in those days, folks. Oh, yeah. It, <laughs> it wasn't as bad as the, the Power Girl situation in post-crisis where they tried to make her... Oh, my They God. wanted to keep Power Girl, but they still... But John Byrne wanted Superman to be the only Kryptonian, so Power Girl had to be descended from Atlantean sorcerers. From Atlantis. <laughs> from Atlantis of all places. Oh, my God. I said, you know something? How come they just didn't say that she comes from Daxum? Yeah, that would have been fine. And you know, you nobody gotta, thought of that because even when they did bring in Supergirl in the post-crisis world, they had to make her some sort of like protoplasmic being or something from a pocket dimension. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. and then, and then in the when they did Superman the animated series, they just said no, she's from Daxum or from Argo or yeah. wherever it was. And they're like, well, that makes sense. Why did they just do that in the show? Why did they just do that in the first place? Yeah. You have you have a planet with billions of people who are all potential. Superman and Superwomen, all you got to do is just bring them to Earth. Yeah, yeah. One of them comes to Earth and becomes Power Girl. Bingo, that's it. Yeah. What? This is not rocket science. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, that was uh, those are some weird days in the early post-crisis years. Oh, I mean, they did. They had like five or six different origins for Power Girl. They they just they just did that poor girl dirty. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until um, they finally straightened it out and they just said, you know what? Screw it. She's from an alternate Krypton in um, uh, Infinite Crisis was when they finally straightened that out, which was one of the few good things about Infinite Crisis. Like, I know people have a lot of uh, problems with that story, but I thought that that was one thing they they did well was just finally clear that whole mess up. And like you said earlier, okay. We have Argo City. In Argo City, there's a whole bunch of Kryptonians that's in there. Mm-hmm. You take one out, you, you, you know, make them full size. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. Power girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So she did a pretty good job, and I did also like that reference to um, uh, Dinah Drake, and and it it is one of those things because they're trying. I did like that it shows that. There is kind of a secret history to this version of the DCEU, which we kind of get a taste for with um, uh, Batman having been active in Gotham for like 20 years, you know, as per, um, although who knows how much of that is still canon now. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? You know what? In one way, okay, 
in one way, I like that DC has has apparently decided to stop trying to chase Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't do it, so they don't do it. I think that their way of doing movies now is just to make a bunch of standalone movies mm-hmm. and just let people say, okay, well, here's Aquaman, here's Harley Quinn, here's the Blackhawks, here's so-and-so. Go do what you want with them. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't worry about, <clears throat> you know, don't worry about continuity or where it fits out or whatever. Just go ahead and just make your movie. I think that that's the best way for them to go myself. Well, especially because, I mean... I mean, Greg Berlanti is already doing the the shared continuity thing with DC far better on TV than the movies ever could. Exactly. He he's doing it because he's got the room and the time in order to do that. As we were saying when we did the, um, you know, the crisis, mm-hmm. you know, when we were talking about that, and we have, and we both agreed that uh, in its own way. This was just as remarkable as achievement as Endgame, Avengers right. Endgame. You know, because he had time over years to build up th- this character, and you know these characters and the continuity. So and and it all came together. Yeah, the movies. You know, they can't. Do, and DC apparently doesn't want to spend twenty invest twenty years into building up a continuity like Marvel did. Right. They don't want to do that. You know. So. <laughs> You know what? Go ahead and just make standalone movies. And that's it. Don't worry about having to make them fit into a cohesive universe. Unless you wanted to. Right. And, you know, I think also <clears throat> one of the one of the brilliant things that Crisis did was establish this multiverse that still exists and shows that the DCEU is part of that. So it's very easy to slide these um, movies into different Earths. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so that that was something they did that was really good, and um, but I but even still, with all that being said, uh, I do like the way that they've plus you know DC continuity has always been a total clusterfuck, so it, it kind of fits with the comics that the same is true of the movies. Yeah, these I mean you know when it comes to continuity, DC apparently, as far as I'm concerned, they have no idea what they're doing. They well, really know, don't. It's it's I think a big it's because a lot of it comes from just the way that DC started because back in the day comics weren't intended to be like this cohesive universe it was when you had two char- when you had characters cross over it was like when you see characters cross over in a TV show it was something special not something that was supposed to be a regular thing so when you have uh, then when Marvel came along and they did the shared continuity and Stanley came out right from the start and said this is a shared universe all these characters live in the same world they all interact with each other which is why you kept having all these references across and that became really popular so because Stanley and Jack Kirby basically invented our, what we think of as comic book continuity and so DC is like, oh, we want some of that now. But they had already like rebooted the Flash, rebooted Green Lantern, while Superman and Batman were still around. So, so they had to like retrofit all this stuff together. And then, then the the Earths got out of control, so they got rid of it all, and they tried to streamline it. But some writers still wanted to keep the pre-crisis stuff, so it just became this total mess of like weird fixes and alterations here and there. 
It, yeah, and and part of the reason why I stopped reading DC Comics is that I just got tired of them, you know, every couple of years. They said, okay, well, we're going to blow everything up and we're going to start all over again, which ended up with them. Uh, remember, what was it, the hyper time that was yeah, supposed yeah. to solve it? Oh, my God. And that turned out to be a mess because nobody could figure out, you know, whereas to me, it was very simple. Well, every story exists in continuity in its own reality. So you can, but it was like some people don't, no, 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 no. That's not good enough. That's not well, good see, enough. That was the we problem need. with hypertime because that's ex- what you just said. That's exactly what Grant Morrison and Mark Wade intended hypertime to be. All the stories exist <laughs> in their own reality. That was supposed to be hypertime. But then yeah. DC, I think DC editorial worried that readers would get too confused. And so then they, they push, they made a lot of changes and all this kind of stuff. So and then that then it created a bigger mess than it than it had to be. The only you know what the only thing that is confused is DC. <laughs> the readers are confused. These DC writers and editors they're confused. Yeah, because it it's funny every time DC try and it and it's not I don't know what it is because it's it's different people each time right. <laughs> Because this has been going yeah. on since the 80s. But yeah. every time they try to fix continuity, they end up making it more confusing. They make it more confused. It never fails. And I don't know. I think it's like, it's got to be, It's. I wonder if it's like DC corporate policy or something at this point. Because it doesn't matter if it's Dan DiDio or Mike Carlin or whoever. But everybody who tries always screws it up. You know, it, it, and to me, it's very simple. Well... Okay, to me, it would be very simple to have one Earth, and you could easily have a timeline going from the Stone Age all the way up to the future with these various characters and say, but then, of course, also, they don't want to lock them into a a specific age or time because then they say, oh, well, how could... Uh, Batman have been fighting crime in Gotham in such and such a time. And, you know, they, I don't know, they just worry too much about it, as far as I'm concerned. The point is to just tell good stories and, and worry about telling good stories and not get so bogged down in the continuity. But I understand also that the fans, God bless them, that's the fans really don't care about the stories anymore. They just care. They just care about how the continuity all hangs together. Right. Really, I think that I think that that's a lot of what has to do with it. Fans really don't care about the stories. They really don't. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it too. Like, and and that just ended up causing more confusion because they keep demanding fixes to it, which then DC tries to do and ends up making more confusing. So it's 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 become like a perpetual cycle. Yeah, which is why, which is why, you know, when you think about, um, just recently, I ran across a cover of a Superman comic book where he's got the head of an ant and he's climbing up the side of, <laughs> you know, the Daily Planet with an army of giant ants. <laughs> now, see, <laughs> you couldn't do a story like that today because the fans would lose their mind. Oh, because yeah. Because now you got to do an eight-issue miniseries to explain how Superman got that way. Yeah. Whereas back then, they just did in one story, Superman got turned into a, an ant with an army of ants. And they didn't worry about how they were going to make it. 
excuse me. They didn't worry about how they were going to make a fitting continuity or whatever. They just said, you know something? Wouldn't it be a fun story for us to turn Superman into an ant for one issue? Have you ever seen um, uh, Super Dickery? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of when you were talking through that. But it, that, that was the, back in the day, like in the, in the Silver Age, a lot of times they just tell artists, you know, just draw a cover and then we'll try and figure out a story to go with it. Yeah, we'll figure out a story to go with it. Yeah, don't worry about it. And that created a lot of uh, interesting covers because of that. <laughs> one thing I one thing I always like to do, and I always keep three or four of these covers on my computer when I get into an argument with somebody that starts giving me shit about, you know, Batman and, and oh, Batman should be this and Batman should be that <laughs> and Batman should be this. And I said, oh, well, how about Caveman Batman? And how about <laughs> Rainbow Batman? And, oh, let's not forget when... Uh, Batman, you know, was going to alien worlds because they would shine the bat signal on the moon and mm-hmm. he would jump at the bat rocket and go to, you know. So, I mean, really, I mean, stop with this thing that, you know, characters have to be locked into one continuity or done one way. Batman embraces a multitude of stories, as mm-hmm. we have seen. The Brave and the Bold was one of my favorite cartoons of recent years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, only, I've only seen like clips of it here and there. I haven't seen yeah. the whole thing. Well, it was totally unlike, you know, the animated series. Right. But it was still a lot of fun. And it was Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, we yes, you can have the Dark Knight and you can have Batman 66, yeah. you know, and they can coexist side by side. Which is something Batman, I got. I still got to get around to watching those um, those two Batman 66 movies they made. The um, the animated ones. Oh, I, yeah, I watched one of them. One of them was, I've seen only one of them so far. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I that's the one where Adam West, and I, I think, matter of fact, that might have been the last thing he did. No, he, I think he, he also I, did the second one, too. Um, okay. But it, 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 had, it didn't come out before he died, but he finished his parts before he died, I believe. Oh, okay. I think. Don't, yeah. don't quote me on that. I'd have to double check, but I believe there were two of them that came out. Okay. And they had uh, William Shatner doing Two-Face, right, if I remember correctly? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the one I saw when William okay. Shatner did Two-Face, yeah. Okay. All right, and then um, the other character in this is uh, – oh, one more thing about Black Canary is – man, I love the way she fought in this movie. Like, the way she – those kicks that she pulled off, those were really freaking amazing. Yeah, I mean uh, – uh, uh, I mean, I have no idea if uh, Jernice Smollett-Bell actually has any martial arts experience, but she made me believe that she doesn't, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yes. She's good. She was good in that. And um, and that was her singing uh, the song at the beginning. Like, that wasn't um, a voice uh, dubbed version. That was actually her voice. Yeah, I've heard her sing before. You know, she's, yeah. She's, uh... Overall, even though it wasn't the Black Canary that I knew from the comic books, I enjoyed it because, it again, I go with the thing was, okay, are they true to the spirit of the character? And I think that they were. Yeah, for the most part. Now, Huntress was one who was who really disappointed me, and I was kind of looking forward to it because I'd seen Mary Elizabeth uh, Winstead and other stuff, but she did not feel like the Huntress to me in this. And we should mention that we haven't done it yet, 
that the MacGuffin of this movie is the Bertinelli diamond. Right. Which was stolen from uh, Helena Bertinelli's family. She, uh, she comes from this major mafia crime family, and mm-hmm. her family is wiped out. Right. So what happens is that the only thing that's left of the family fortune is the Bertinelli diamond. Now, the diamond itself is worth a fortune, but etched on the surface, and they use some kind of laser thingy, I don't know. They, But they say that on the surface is all of the various banks that the Bertinelli's hid their money in. Mm-hmm. So that's what everybody is looking for. Cassandra Kane, she swallows it. And everybody is running around Gotham looking for this diamond while this mysterious woman with a crossbow is going around killing the other crime lords of Gotham. As we find out later on, this is Helena, who has been trained by uh, mafia guys in Sicily, Mm -hmm. who took her in after her family gets killed. And they trained her in martial arts and how to shoot it in the crossbow. So now she's back in Gotham and she's looking for revenge on the people that killed her family. And bingo. Yeah. Take it away. And and yeah, so she's calling herself the Huntress. And she says, they call me the Huntress. Although nobody calls her that except for herself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's hard for me to take her seriously as the Huntress because they that's one thing. They make that, that joke of her name the whole time. But also, like, I don't really b- buy Mary Elizabeth Winstead in that role because she's too much of the... Zoe Deschanel disaffected type of actress that she doesn't really, you know, fit in that kind of character. She does. You know what? She she doesn't seem so much as that she's making things happen in that she just gets caught up. Yeah. And stuff, even even though she's supposed to be on this big revenge you know, thing. You know what? It doesn't even seem like, you know, she's really all into the the revenge thing either. No, no. She feels like it. it's like she's bored with the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And there was somebody, I'm not going to mention his name on the air, but you know who I'm talking about. It was somebody on Facebook. I got into a discussion with them and they were talking about that this movie really isn't about Harley Quinn, that it's the Huntress's story. Oh, that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever read in the past week. And we're talking in a world where, you know, Donald Trump is giving rants on a, a press conferences every day. And that was still the most ridiculous thing I read all week. Oh, you read that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't believe that. But however, given the person who said it, and you know, we've known him for a long time. Yeah. So back then, he didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> and he still, to this day, has no idea what he's talking about. And I said, but are you insane? You know? Yeah. Whatever, whatever it is you're taking, please, for the love of God, stop taking it. Yeah. So, hit, so for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, because this is very inside baseball stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> on Facebook, someone posted, like Derek said, that it should be a Huntress movie. It's really a Huntress movie because the plot involves the... Um, the Bertinelli Diamond. The Bertinelli Diamond. Which yeah. is like saying that Endgame is an Ant-Man movie because it involves pin particles. Bingo. Right. Okay. Which- I remember you said that. I stood up and cheered. I said I could kiss him. You know. Oh my. That's not how story works. No. No. But you know, this but guy, he's again, a writer we've known for a while, so we already know he doesn't know how story again, works. But then again, this individual would not know what a story was if it came up and kicked him dead in his ass. Yeah, yeah. He would not have any concept of what a story is. Yeah. Okay, enough said. Going back <laughs> to the movie. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, 
Helena Bertinelli, yeah, yeah, you hit it right on the head. She seems actually kind of bored with the whole thing. Right. Even though we're supposed to believe she's been driven by this mad desire for revenge all these years. Yeah. Like, so I think that was the biggest miscast in this movie. Like, you know, um, uh, what's her name? I'm going to forget her, get, want to get her name right. Uh, one who plays, the girl who plays um, Cassandra, Ella J. Basco, like, She's good in. She's not good as Cassandra Kane, but the way that role is written, she fits. Mary Elizabeth Winstead does not fit even the way that Huntress is written in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And you know that's no, nothing I, against her. I think she's, she's a great actress. I've seen her in a lot of other stuff. You know, I loved her in uh, Scott Pilgrim, but yeah, she just doesn't. She's just very miscast for this movie. I did like the way that she interacted with the other characters when, yeah, when, as I say again, she just gets caught up in this. And it's like she just like goes along with it because, you know, okay, well, why not? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, okay, like Renee Montoya and, uh, um, you know, Cassandra and Harley Quinn, you know, they have a definite reason to be doing what it is that they're doing. But Cassandra's like, well, well, not Cassandra. Her, Helena is like, well, you know, it's a bunch of cool chicks and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a cool chick, so I should be hanging out with them. And that's kind of the attitude, that's the vibe that she gives off to me, at least to me, actually. Yeah. You know what she should have done is, because she played Lucy McLean in um, Live Free or Die Hard. Oh, that's okay. Now, that's where I uh, if she played it more like she played Lucy, I think she would have done a much better job. Yeah, yeah. She needed to have a little bit more drive with this character. Yeah. A little, you know, make the character feel more invested in what she's doing. Right. More Lucy McLean, less Ramona Flowers was definitely needed yeah. in this. Yeah, that's what I did not feel like she was invested at all. Because, of course, we're talking about that. She's trying to get back her fortune, her family mm-hmm. fortune. You know, she really don't. You know, it's like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like all the 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 whole girl power theme of this movie is a lot of fun to watch. And when they're um and just like their interactions with each other at the end when they're um when they're at the, the taco stand, that the all that all that stuff was was great. And it's like these brilliant little character moments. Like when she gives um when Harley gives Cassandra a margarita and then Montoya takes it away. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She doesn't say. She just very quietly takes it mm-hmm. away, you know, because you know you're not. Because of course, Harley is going to give a kid an alcoholic drink. Of course, <laughs> right. she is. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, all so, that stuff, and just like the whole the 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 shop talk between uh, Montoya and Huntress and Black Canary was also very fitting for their characters, and it's the kind of thing you'd expect in the aftermath of a superhero battle, right? <laughs> Yeah. Like, you yeah, know, I mean, everyone just kind of sitting around saying like, man, I love the way you use those kicks and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, man. you. Oh, when you did so-and-so to that guy, when, oh, what was that move that you used on so-and-so? Yeah. You know, you again, this is like the thing with the food. Mm-hmm. It's the little moments like this you don't usually see in superhero movies where superheroes right. just sit around talking. Shop. Remember, it's like the part. It was like, well, what Avengers movie was that where they were just all sitting around? They were just kicking the Willy Bobo and everything like yeah, that. Then Age they of all Ultron. Got, yeah, got I was thinking the exact same yeah. thing when they all because that's the kind of thing you do if one of your teammates has a weapon that only he can use. Of course, everyone's going to yeah. want to try it. 
And it's obvious that they're all kind of tipsy. Yeah. Hey, oh, man, get out the way. Yeah, I can lift Thor's hair, but get out of my way. <laughs> you know? And yet, it's a fun little scene because... Right. Especially when Tony me, comes back with this armor gauntlet to try and do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, and I cracked up. I said, because, yeah, yeah, you know he's drunk now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no question that Tony is drunk. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> who in there right by well, uh, oh wait a minute, hold on. I'll be right back. <laughs> Let me get my jet power gauntlet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those like those little moments, those those are the those are the things that really make these characters. And they make the characters feel alive in those moments. Yeah. Yeah, they they, they definitely come alive. It was a lot of the um they had a moment like that in Suicide Squad when they're in the bar mm-hmm. and they just decided, well, you know, we're going to chuck it all. And um, what's his name? Uh, he gives them the remote control and he tells them, oh, OK, let's Flag. do it. <clears throat> right. Rick Flagg couldn't think. I, I, I remember the actor's name, Joel Kinnaman. Yeah. But I couldn't think of the, I couldn't think of his character's name. When Rick Flagg gives them the remote control that'll blow up the bombs in their necks. And he said, listen, we, oh, listen, the mission is screwed. Go home. Just destroy the thing. Go. And they go in the bar and they're just sitting down and they're having drinks and they're just talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're saying, listen, how, listen, OK, we got ourselves into a fucked up situation. How are we going to resolve this? Man, there was and a, they just, it's weird now when you think back, there was the time when like Joel Kinnaman was in everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was in, he was in that, he was in the, the RoboCop reboot, which I just rewatched um, a few weeks ago, which actually was not bad. Not as good as the original, but not bad. Better than the sequels, at least. Let me put it this way. If we had never seen the first RoboCop movie, May way back when, mm-hmm. we would be talking about the remake a lot higher than we would. Oh, it's really not yeah. that. It's really not that bad a movie. It, it matter of fact, you know what? It's pretty good. It is pretty good. It's really, just the original honest. was so amazing because of the satire and everything that it's hard to to compete with that. Well, that's what it is. See, when you don't have the social set, see, and, and people don't seem to understand, RoboCop wasn't about violence. It was about social satire, right? And once you take that social satire out of the movie, well, all you got left is your standard action revenge thriller. Yeah, yeah. And they did Which have again, a little, to, to the movie's credit, they did have a little bit of it, uh, especially with Michael Keaton's role, but it wasn't, it didn't go full out the way that the original did. Exactly. Yeah, right. because I mean, like the first one, you can watch that over and over again. And you can still pick up little things that you didn't see before. Oh yeah, well that's that's and that it, director, it, that's uh, Paul Verhoeven, who he takes these he takes these like B movie sci fi scripts like that and Starship Troopers, and he makes them into really Starship. smart uh, social satires. Yeah, Starship Troopers. You know, whenever I hear people talk about, oh, I hate Starship Troopers. Oh, I hate. It. I said, wait a minute. Did you really watch the movie and get what it was really? Because I I don't know I. In my old age, I've gotten a little bit mellow mm-hmm. as far as that. But when people, you know, when they look at a movie like Starship Troopers or RoboCop and they complain about the social satire. And I said, well, you really don't understand what the movie was about then. Right. If you, you know, if you just think it was just about, you know, the shooting and the violence and, you know, uh, blowing up big bugs and mm-hmm. a guy, you know, nearly getting killed and being turned to a robot. You know, if that's all you took away from that movie, 
and you really didn't watch the movie. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, to take that bet, to take actually, there's kind of a, a, a tie-in here because um, doing a <laughs> this is this is gonna be a, a great segue. Okay, listen to this. All right. Okay. So, I, I'm on the edge of my seat. Starship Troopers starred um, Dina Mayer who also played yes. Barbara Gordon in the Birds of Prey, the very short-lived Birds of Prey TV series. And that's bringing me back to the Birds of Prey movie now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, and that brings me to what another big complaint I had about this movie is that there is no Barbara Gordon in this movie. And I think that's a big... Even if you don't have her as Oracle, I think you... Birds of Prey is so tied to Barbara Gordon because she created it in the comics when um, when she was crippled and she was working as Oracle. And I think not having Barbara Gordon and sort of trying to shoehorn the Birds of Prey into a Harley Quinn movie is really the biggest failing of this movie. And it... it it's not something that needed to be done. Like, even though we talk about how great Renee Montoya is and how great, you know, for the most part, um, Journey Smollett-Bell is, like, they, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and all that, they do not need to be in this movie at all. Well, that's true. That's true. As much as I love this movie, and I do love it a lot, I, you know, as, as anybody's read my review of it, on the Ferguson Theater, shameless plug. <laughs> uh, you know, it, I, you know, this is a very goofy, freewheeling, action, col- action-filled, colorful movie that I enjoyed a lot. Mm-hmm. But I do have to agree with you on that. You could take out Renee Montoya and the Huntress. All you would really need for this movie to work is Harley Quinn and Cassandra Kane. Really? Right. Well, I mean, you could even keep in Renee Montoya because she's I think she could still serve a useful purpose as like kind of like that counterbalancing force uh influencing Cassandra. Yeah. And that would have been a much more interesting movie, I think. Yeah. It, it would have cer- story-wise, it certainly would have been a lot tighter. Yeah, you really did. Yeah, you really didn't need, you know, uh, because of course we could have had somebody tell the story of the Bertinelli Diamond. Mm-hmm. So you really didn't need the Huntress. The Black Canary. Uh, I'm going to say this: it's optional. Yeah. What I probably would have done is have her right from the start, the uh, bodyguard slash driver of the Black Mask, mm-hmm. a job she takes on later in the movie. But in order to introduce her sooner, I would have just had her in that role right from the start of the movie. And you know what? I don't think I would have made it Black Canary. I would have made it some other character. Right? Someone like um, Mercy Graves. Oh, okay. There you go. And then you could have had a tie-in or something where she ends up, at the end, she ends up going to LexCorp. Right. Yeah. She says, "Okay. Well, I guess I got to take the other job I've been offered." Yeah. Uh, so, oh, well, where is that? Well, Metropolis. Yeah. You know, just say that. Then we say, "Oh, okay. Now she's going to go work for Lex." Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Even though Mercy work. was technically in Batman v Superman, and she was just, which was a waste of that character and a waste of Tao Okamoto in that movie. But that's another story. Because you know what? If we're just going to be dragging in characters, I mean, you know, willy nilly, mm-hmm. why not? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or you know what? Even be- here's here's a better idea. Oh, I'm surprised I didn't think of this earlier. Cassandra Kane as the bodyguard, but the mute version from the comics. Even better. That would have been perfect. 
And then, yeah, I would have done that, and I would have had um, probably Barbara Gordon in the Renee Montoya role and have her, like, bring them together. And then at the end of the movie, instead of going off with Harley, Cassandra goes off with Barbara Gordon and becomes Batgirl. That's what I would have done. Why are we writing screenplays? I don't know. I don't know. Why aren't we writing it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It just... In the space of five minutes, we've just made the movie better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've rewritten the whole movie and made a, and made a stronger movie out yeah. of it. <laughs> now, one thing I will say this about the writing is that I'm glad they didn't go the obvious route of having Black Mask be like a spurned Harley Quinn lover or something like that. Yeah, well, this movie's too smart for that. Right. I'm glad. I'm so glad they didn't do that because I think that would have been way too cliche. Yeah, it would have been too cliche. And also, <clears throat> we know that despite what she says, the only love of Harley's life is her pudding. Right. That's it. You know, the thought that she's attracted to somebody else <clears throat> or she falls in love with somebody else, that's not in her. Unless it's Poison Ivy. Well, I was thinking, and it's not that, I was thinking that he was someone who was in love with her. Oh, okay. I got you now. Yeah, he had a fixation on her. Yeah, and then now the Joker's yeah. out of the picture. He tries to go after her, and she spurs yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, like I said, this movie's too smart for that. I'm glad. Yeah, they, yeah I'm glad they didn't go that route either, because that would have been too. That would have been just trite. Yeah, yeah. You know? Although I think the, I don't know about you, but I, maybe this was intentional. But that scene where he uh, he orders that woman to to dance on the table and strip off, like I've. Maybe it was intentional, but I think that was maybe a bit too much because I felt really uncomfortable watching that scene. There was no, you know what? There was no reason for that scene in the movie except to justify the R rating. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, and we and we've already had the stuff like okay, we've had the language, we've had the scene where. Uh, uh, Saz, he cuts off the faces of the uh, family, the mm-hmm. Chinese family that's hanging upside down. Right. He cuts off their faces, you know. So, I mean, okay, you've already done enough to establish, you know, your R rating. You, you you don't have to have that scene in there. And, yeah, when I, you know, the first time I'm watching it, I'm saying, you know some, this is really unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. You know, why is this even, why is this even in here? Yeah, I mean, you know. I think they by that point they've done enough to establish Black Mask is a bad guy. Well, listen, when the guy's ordering his henchmen to cut off people's face, and and then he has the girl killed after he says, "Okay, I'm gonna let her live," and then she, he's like, "Wait a minute, is that a snot bubble?" Yeah, said, never mind, change my mind, kill her. Go ahead and kill her. Okay, we got it. Yeah. You're a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We got it. You you don't have to, you know, go on and on on about it. You know, yeah, that scene is uh if I was gonna cut any scene out of that movie, you know. As a matter of fact, when I watched the movie again in preparation for this, because I hadn't seen it since I, you know, uh since I went to the movies to see it, you know, mm-hmm. and that was in February. Um but I watched it again yesterday in preparation for this episode. And when that scene came up, I got up and I went to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, okay, I'll go to the bathroom now. And I did. That's what I did because I said, well, I don't need to see the skin. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with this because the rumor, I don't know if this is true, but apparently the rumor is that after this, there's going to be a Gotham City Sirens movie, which would presumably introduce like Poison Ivy. 
Oh, okay. Which and if they and which I really think they should have done in this movie instead. But you know what what's done is done. Um, oh, and did you did you check out the end credits of this movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah I love that little bit at the end when she's like, "All right, I'm going to tell you a secret. Batman is really," and then it just cuts. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Listen, if they get the same director, because like I said, I really liked, uh, you know, Kathy Yan. I really mm-hmm. like her direct. You know, I like the way that she directed this movie. You know, she kept things moving. She knows how to tell a story. I like the visual style of this movie. Like you yeah. said, it's colorful. And then when they get to uh, the end with the funhouse and everything like that, the movie becomes very surreal. Mm-hmm. You know, so I like the visual style of this. If they do a sequel to this, definitely I would want them to get the same director and presumably the same person. Because I do believe that it's a woman that wrote the screenplay as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. So also, one of the things, too, is, well, you know, at the end when they show the um, the Birds of Prey in their costumes, like, I thought that Black Canary's outfit looked good. It looked like a neat little update to the original while still incorporating, like, the fishnets into the sleeves and that kind of thing. But yeah. I did not like... I don't know what was up with uh, Huntress's costume. That looked, like, really fake. Well, we don't know what's up with Huntress through the whole movie anyway. <laughs> yeah, true, good point. <laughs> As we have already established. So, I mean, why should her costume be any different? Yeah, yeah, good point, good point. <laughs> Um, but I did like how, but I did like how they did establish by the end of the movie that they were an official team. Yeah, you know, and, and that they were working together as an official team. I, I did like that. Mm-hmm. But that Harley wasn't part of their group. I did like that too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because yeah, send Harley off on her own to have more adventures. You know, wacky adventures, whatever. You know, and uh, you know, here's what you know, I let Harley be. Again, yeah, let Harley be Harley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's what I do. You know, have another next movie, do Gotham City Sirens, do it with Harley and, and Ivy, get rid of Cassandra Kane, because that's not Cassandra Kane anyway, and that's right. what the next movie should focus on. Yeah, I, I would go with that. I mean, maybe throw in Catwoman or something like that, too, if you want something else in there. But, but yeah, it should really be like Harley and Ivy should be the focus going forward, I think. And really, you know what? You could do a whole series of Harley Quinn movies, as you say. And and in each new movie, she's introducing new female superheroes into this world, into the universe. Oh, yeah, that'd be a pretty good idea. You know, provided they actually give those characters justice. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, of course. But I'm just saying, you know, it'd be a good way for them to introduce Barbara Gordon. Yeah. Like you say, yeah, you know, Barbara Gordon and... And there's a whole host of other uh, characters, the Rose and the Thorn, mm-hmm. you know, a whole host of other characters. And in each movie, OK, there's a new female character that we're, intro- you know, we're introduced. I, me, I, I think it could work. I think that'd be a pretty good idea, too. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of different ways you could go with that there. And and, you know, what? I, I, I like I agree with you. I do like Kathy Ann. And I I just I would like to see her just let loose on a pure Harley movie. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that by now 
We say because despite people keep saying, you know what? I really hate it. We hate it when people do it. Oh, the movie was a bomb. The movie was a bomb. But the movie was not a bomb. The movie made money. It just didn't make as much money as DC would have liked for it to make. And also, but I it, mean, you know, there's pretty extenuating circumstances here. Let's not forget. Exactly. As you cited earlier on with the coronavirus yeah. thing, and it had to be pulled from the theaters. Yeah. So there's no telling how. Because as a matter of fact, the movie was picking up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, before yeah. they pulled it. As far as I, you know, my understanding was is that they, uh, I mean, you know, the movie was picking up an audience. It was finding, you know, people were going to see it and going to check it out. So, uh, yeah. But, I mean, you know, the movie did make money. You know, I really get pissed off when I hear people say, oh, the movie was a bomb. The movie was a bomb. No, the movie was not a bomb. The movie made money. Well, a lot of that is also... Um a lot of people have self want a self fulfilling prophecy. Like I remember when Captain Marvel came out, and even still, like this is like how many years now? It's been like what two or three years since Captain Marvel came out. People are still like that. people are still spreading rumors about how oh Captain Marvel there the sequel's delayed because it did not make as much money as that's total bullshit or it's delayed because nobody likes Brie Larson. No, that's none of that is true at all. No, none of that is true. Yeah, none of that is true. You don't like Brie Larson. Right. Well, that's your issue, but yeah, but no, that's certainly not why. Matter of fact, Brie Larson, um, she's supposed to be playing a major role in the next Avengers movie from everything I hear Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to be doing Captain Marvel that's too. Around. And, you know... Yeah, that's... And when I tell people this, they say, well, how come there's such a long delay before they're announcing a sequel? Because they've got a ton of movies now. Like, it took them, what, like, it's going to be like, what, three or four years for Black Panther 2 to come out? Yeah, yeah. Doctor Strange 2 is coming out, you know, you know, what, like three or four years after the original Doctor Strange came out? So it's, you know, they're they're taking, they got a lot of, they they got a lot of characters. Yeah, Sam Raimi. Yeah, Sam Raimi's taking over, yeah. But you know what? No, um, I mean, yeah, exactly. Since they're doing the multiverse, you know what one of the theories is about it? What's that? Now, this is just a rumor, right? Totally, 100% just a rumor. But people are speculating that, because Tobey Maguire has said that he would like to play a superhero again. So they're speculating that maybe they could have a, mul- a vision of a multiverse with the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man that could later lead into a Spider-Verse live-action movie. That would have like Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. You know what? I have heard that. I have heard that rumor that that they are angling for a live action, you know, Spider Verse, you know, movie with all of the Spider Men. Now, I'm not a major Spider Man fan, as most people know. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, I, it's not that I got nothing against Spider Man, but he, you know, he don't turn my crank like say like Thor or right. you know. Panther, but yeah, but I'd go see that. Mm. Yeah, I definitely go see that. Oh yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, but you know what? And I think that people don't realize that now it's not just the Marvel movies anymore. It's Disney Plus, right? So there's a lot. There's a lot of characters and a lot of stuff that they're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. So everybody's got to kind of like wait their turn, you know, because. <laughs> They're not only constantly introducing new characters that, you know, the characters that have already been introduced. Yeah, they got to have their, you know, part two and part three and, you know, whatever. And these movies are taking longer and longer to produce simply because there's so many of them that that they've committed to doing. Right. Right. Absolutely. 
All right, so uh, do we have any final thoughts about um, Harley Quinn guest starring the Birds of Prey? Only, I can only reiterate what I said before. If you have not as yet seen Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, I love that title. Yeah. Um, it is currently on Amazon Prime. You can rent it for $3.99. We are all quarantined anyway. If you're looking for a good, fun movie to watch on a Friday or Saturday night, I highly recommend this movie. Or hell, Friday Knowing, morning these days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, people are home all the time. So, you know, just keep the kidlets away from it mm-hmm. because this is this is most certainly not a kid's movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is a movie that's made for adults. So, yes, while Harley Quinn is featured in animation and comic books and everything like that, no, this is an R-rated movie. So act accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I would not let your nine-year-old watch this. I don't care how much she yells and screams about how much she loves Harley. No, I would not let her watch it. No, definitely not. Um, Yeah, total agreement with pretty much everything you said there. Um... The only thing I would add is, you know, it's despite the problems I have with it as a Birds of Prey movie, it's it's a very it's great as a Harley Quinn movie. It's a fun movie and it's really enjoyable. And, you know, just the the direction alone is just really good. Yeah. And and I mean, it's got it's got some terrific standout action sequences. mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the police station, you know, like like you said, uh, you know, the fight in the fun house. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole thing where Harley, she's chasing the car on the oh, roller skates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, that, you know, there's some great action sequences. Yeah. Oh, you know, something movie. I didn't mention, but I loved the scene when, like, everyone's coming after her. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's like, and it's, it's like, very- oh, it's like, what's, I, I also remember there was one thing where, um, and this is something that the Honest trailer uh, mentioned, so I got to credit them at Screen Junkies. But when she's talking to Black Mask and she's like, well, I wonder why he hates me and it's lists all these reasons. And one of them is vote for burn voted for Bernie. And then yeah. later she says like, that's why you never participate in federal income tax. So honest trailer is like, that is like the most Joker thing you could do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. See folks, this is why we enjoy this movie. It, it, trust me. This movie is a lot of goofy fun mm. if you will relax and enjoy it. Again, as I said earlier, it also helps if you throw out everything you know about Renee Montoya, The Huntress, and Black Canary, mm-hmm. and just look upon this as brand new versions of those characters. And especially Cassandra Kane. Yeah. And especially Cassandra Kane, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and also, but, yeah. you know, just I got to mention again that. You know, Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor just playing off each other is just amazing to watch. I kind of hope, I kind of wish that Black Mask could come back in a future movie just to see them doing more of that together. Yeah, comedy gold. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, yeah, this is a fun movie from the, do not believe the hype. You know, and, tr- listen, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know I wouldn't steer you wrong. This movie is nowhere near as bad as you've heard it is. It's a fun, enjoyable movie. And I like want it. an egg sandwich like at the it. end. And you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna want an egg sandwich at the end. <laughs> trust me. All right, so um, 
that's it for our talk about Harley Quinn. Now, what are next is going to be your pick because you tossed it off to me last time. So, have you decided on a movie for next time? Um, no. <laughs> I didn't. I never think about these things. Until, you know what? I forget when it actually gets to be my turn and I actually have to think of something. Um, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Come back next week and, you, and you'll see what we, you know, came up with. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it'll be a unless, surprise then. Uh, unless, wait a minute, unless you want to do, uh, you know, the Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, do like you- you've been threatening like you've been threatening to do for the longest. <laughs> well, do you want to make that your pick, or do you want to? Because if you want to think about something else, I can wait until you've uh, chosen something. I mean, I can come up with something off the top of my head, but I'd rather not do that. I'd rather, you know, let it marinate and pick something that would be, you know, okay, you well, know, would resonate. All right, so then we'll just make it a, a surprise for now, um, and you just uh, send me a message once you've um, had a look at your collection, figured out what you want to decide on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's usually what I do. I usually just go to my collection and I say, okay, well, what haven't I seen in a while? Because since we did something recent now, you know, do you want to do something else that's fairly recent or do you want to go back and... Uh, I mean, it's dealer's choice, man. I'm going to let you um, go look at your collection, see what strikes your fancy, and then just send me a message and we'll go from there. Oh, well, wait a minute. You want to do another recent DC movie? You want to do Aquaman? Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and do Aquaman. You want to do Aquaman? Sure. Because, you know what? That's another recent DC movie that enjoyed a lot of popularity and success and, and also a lot of controversy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm totally down with that. All right, so um, come okay, back so next. Okay, so we'll do Aquaman. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do Aquaman. All right, so come back next week, and we'll be watching uh, Aquaman. All right, uh, that about does it for us. Head on over to Facebook.com, Superhero Cinephiles. Join the group. Join the discussion. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, Super Cinema Pod at both. we got a Patreon page, Patreon.com slash Super Cinema Pod. Go in there, toss us a couple of bucks. Um and yeah that's about it oh and if you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast because every little bit helps us boost up in the rankings helps us get more listeners helps us get more attention and that's nothing but a good thing yeah All right, uh, that does it for us this week and we will be back next week thanks a lot for listening and we'll talk to you then okay thank you so much for listening listen stay home be safe be careful Wash your hands. God bless and good night. Absolutely. Night. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, or if you have a superhero movie or TV show you'd like us to cover in a future episode, you can email us at superherocinephiles at gmail.com, or you can also visit us on the web at superherocinephiles.com. If you like what you hear, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Each review helps us reach more potential listeners. You can also support the show by renting or purchasing the movies discussed or by picking up our books, all of which can be accessed through the website, as well as find links to our social media presences. The theme music for this show is a shortened version of Superhero Showdown, a royalty-free piece of music courtesy of Fesleyan Studio.